This is exactly right. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I'm your host, Dr. Dan, and we are excited to bring an exciting show to you today. Our goal and mission of Parent Footprint is to create a loving world with more compassionate people, one parent and one child at a time. We strongly believe the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged and aware kids is for us parents to do the same, to be happy to be healthy, to be engaged, and to be aware in our own lives. We believe that awareness and creating awareness is the foundation of creating a vision of successful parenting and that you can choose your own vision and be the person you want your child to become. Today's show is called The Possibility Principle, How Quantum Physics Can Improve the Way You Think, Live, and Love. And that title happens to be the same title of our guest, Mel Schwartz's brand new book, which we're going to be talking about today. Mel is a licensed clinical social worker. He has his master's in philosophy, and he's also a psychotherapist and marriage counselor who has been in private practice in Connecticut and Manhattan for over 20 years. He has become an emerging voice in the field of personal transformation and is one of the first practicing psychotherapists to integrate the principles of quantum physics into a psychotherapeutic approach. He earned his graduate degree from Columbia University and has written other books such as The Art of Intimacy, The Pleasure of Passion, and blogs regularly for Psychology Today. He has written a lot, over 100 articles read by more than 1.5 million people. I am very pleased to welcome Mel to the show. Mel, thanks for joining us this morning. It's my pleasure to be with you. All right, we have a lot to talk about. First of all, how you've been at this a long time, and you've been thinking about this stuff a long time. How, tell us how this book came to be. I would have to go back 20-some-odd years ago. I had recently divorced. I had two young sons who lived primarily with me, but on one particular weekend, they were with their mom. It was a beautiful spring morning, and I went out for a bike ride, thinking I would enjoy myself. I became overcome with anxiety, missing them terribly, and started to feel panicky. My heart started to race. I rode the bike back home, not knowing what kind of relief that would give me got home, I reached on the shelf and absentmindedly picked out, picked out a book. And the book was called The Turning Point, written by a quantum physicist named Fridjof Capra. 
And I started to read about this paradigm shift that reality as we know it was beginning to appear different. It wasn't what we had been taught, which was primarily by 17th century thinkers like Newton and Descartes, who told us reality was like a giant machine or a large clock. And I began to read the quantum physics revealed that reality is unimaginably counterintuitively inseparable. It's kind of like one, much like the Eastern religions and spiritual traditions have always told us, but now it was appearing in this empirical science. I also read that it was reality was completely uncertain, not deterministic, and that that uncertainty meant that all things were possible. Within 20 or 30 minutes of reading, I no longer felt anxious. But even more to the point, I felt intrigued and alive and Mm -hmm. connected and all full of potential. That never stopped for me. I, I don't understand science, so I don't want your listeners to think I'm a scientist. I was a C student at best in science. I just read about certain principles, and I thought, if that is what reality looks like, how do I need to alter my beliefs and my thinking? to align with what appears to be this wondrous universe. So over time, I began to shift how I think, how I perceive, how I communicate and relate. And I integrated that into my approach with my clients as a therapist. Mm -hmm. And over time, I saw the benefits. That's what brings me to where I am this morning with you. Hmm. So our thoughts and our perceptions determine our reality. In the moment that you exist, in in the nanosecond before we have our next thought, we are in a state of pure potential. And that's the quantum reality and it's our reality. But the problem is, as I've seen as through my work as a therapist, most often we continue to replicate the same old thoughts ad Mm nauseum. And when we have a thought, the thought summons the accompanying emotion. And that's why we get stuck. That's why we don't engage the change process, because we're stuck in old thought. And you see, thought tricks us. It tricks us in that it's telling us the truth. It isn't. Mm -hmm. Thought is just Mm -hmm. representing our filter, our perception of what we think we see. Mm -hmm. You know, and 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 where this fully resonates for me in my work as a therapist and work at with Parent Footprint is how many parents are uh, completely motivated to do anything for their kids to have a, a good life, a healthy life, a happy life. And, and what we focus on is how that starts with us, because regardless of what our backgrounds are and our life experiences, that we all have the ability to create for ourselves the same thing we want to create for our kids. And I think this is particularly important for, for what you're saying when it, it starts, you're saying it starts with our thoughts. you like, like what's most important. Um, I know you write is that our, our most important relationships are not even with our family or loved ones, but with our thoughts and our thinking. That's right. Our, our thoughts will impact our life more than any other relationship. It's your most intimate companion, your thoughts. They're with you all the time. So the way I look at it is this. 
we have primary beliefs about the world, politics. We have primary beliefs about ourselves. And those beliefs, in turn, unfold into our thoughts and our feelings. So really, to develop a mastery of my life, I don't want to be simply imprisoned by my thoughts and what they're telling me. I've developed an approach, which I share in my book, which gives the reader an opportunity to actually see your thought. It's like hearing a knock at the door. If you hear the Mm -hmm. knock, you have a choice. You can open the door or not. I've learned to see and experience thought knocking at the door. When you can Mm -hmm. see your thought, you're actually thinking. When you can see your thought operating, there's a sense of me that's more sovereign than just being the end product of all my thoughts. That's the defining moment in life when we can see our thoughts and choose differently. Hmm. And then, not that this is easy, right? Because you and I are in the business of helping people transform their lives, find their potential, and it's hard, right? So so why, what do you think is the biggest obstacle or what, why, why it's so hard for us human beings, particularly the older we get, to create this change that we want? I would say simply, it's hard because nobody ever taught us. You know, was it hard to learn to speak, to speak English, mm-hmm. to learn grammar, to learn mathematics? Well, now we look back and we think, well, it wasn't so hard, but we were educated. The problem here is nobody is teaching us how to develop emotional intelligence, a mastery of our thinking. You see, I would argue it's not hard. It requires focus and dedication. I'm teaching a workshop this fall, which is called Detoxing Your Mind. Hmm. People will spend fortunes uh, detoxing their bodies, going on fast, working out in the gym with trainers, We accept all that as normal. Can you imagine how our lives would prosper if we devoted the same attention to detoxing our thoughts and developing a mastery of our thinking? So I would say it's different. But when you say it's hard, that's thought operating. You're having a thought that's telling you this is hard. I'm Mm -hmm. saying, how do we know know if we've never tried? So what would you say is the process of change for people, for the listeners, because we're aligned that everyone, every human being has the potential to change. And what, what is that process from your perspective? It appears to me, my current belief, is that our struggle with change has to do with our relationship with uncertainty. As a mm-hmm. culture, we're experiencing an epidemic of anxiety. I believe and I see in my work that so much of that anxiety, so much of that fear, is that we're sitting back trying to calculate and predict the future. If I do this, what will happen? If I don't do this, what will the consequences be? Would that be a mistake? That kind of addiction to certainty stymies our change process because we're not in the flow of life. We're worried about making a mistake. We're needing to know the future in advance. What I do is introduce the quantum principle of uncertainty. Reality is altogether uncertain. Now, 
instead of avoiding uncertainty, I teach my readers and my clients to embrace uncertainty. You see, when we embrace uncertainty, we create possibility and potential. It's like jumping in the flow of life. Reality is perpetually flowing, science tells us, but we're not because we're trying to hold back against the uncertainty. We are wanting to know what's coming, so we're not engaging in the flow. To engage the change process, we need to embrace uncertainty, and we need to learn to stop having the same old thoughts because they impede our change process. So embracing uncertainty creates possibilities, which creates potential, the possibility for one's potential and human potential. For me, that is one of my primary possibility principles. I have experienced in my life defining moments where I've changed careers, changed relationships. Um, I redefine myself. I only accomplish that by embracing the uncertain. If we look at the uncertain and it induces fear and we're afraid of making a mistake, we're stuck. So by Mm -hmm. changing our relationship with uncertainty, we get unstuck. That's a core principle in my book. So what would you recommend to the listeners about, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of some people thinking, well, that would be great, but that's really scary. And, uh, you know, what, what could happen and what will happen and what might happen? Is there a primary suggestion or recommendation for taking the first step towards embracing this scary thing in our culture called uncertainty? That's a great question. Well, let's look at it this way. If we're struggling with change, if we're conflicted or unhappy in our relationships, if we're dissatisfied in our job and we're avoiding change because of the uncertainty, well, how is that game plan working out for us? If we're feeling anxious or down or depressed or stuck, that approach isn't working. So wouldn't it be sensible to try a new approach where I I change my relationship with the uncertain? You know, it's, it's not so, there's a fear of the unknown. Perhaps sometimes we should become fearful of the known. Mm-hmm. If you're not getting, if you're not getting the full bite out of the apple of your life, if you're mm-hmm. not thriving, then instead of worrying about the unknown, ask yourself, why am I constrained to the known, which isn't fulfilling me? I need to change mm-hmm. my relationship with the unknown. The unknown can become my ally. That's where all my possibility lies. Mm-hmm. In, in all the possibility, and it makes me think of, you know, we're all products of our past, both uh, what we know consciously uh, are aware of and what we are unconsciously aware of. And we bring that with us everywhere we go. And you talk about changing a script, you know, changing one's script, regardless of one's past. So is is this... This is the beginning of changing a script, I imagine, by looking at uncertainty differently. We all know of ourselves in a certain way, and the older we get, the more fixed our identity may become. So we then become confined, in a way, to our life experiences. But we don't have to be limited to what I have been and experienced. You can alter your future by writing a new life script. 
Now, what gets in the way of that script are our primary beliefs and thoughts about ourselves. So Mm -hmm. I propose asking ourselves, how do I know it's true? Suppose my belief is that um, I'm not as lucky as other people, or I never get the breaks that other people get, or I'm never going to succeed. How did you come to that belief? Well, you may track it back to experiences in childhood and relationships with your parents, but you don't need to be confined by those experiences. You can learn to break free once you Mm -hmm. learn to become the master of your thinking. And one of our primary messages of Parent Footprint is, as you heard, awareness. And so what you're talking about is, you know, we have to to become aware of our thinking patterns, aware of our perceptions, aware of where these things even come from, so we can start to change the script and open up possibilities for ourselves. That's exactly correct. And by becoming aware, I'm not proposing that we need to get lost in analyzing it. And as a culture, mm-hmm. we do too much. We do too much analyzing. You know, analyzing mm-hmm. is like putting binoculars to your face or looking, peering through a, a microscope. The, analyzing should be one tool in our mind's toolbox, but there are many ways of knowing. So being aware is, is a broad picture. It's a gestalt. It's, it's just a larger image. Don't analyze it. Be aware of what's limited you. Ask yourself what my beliefs are about myself that have limited me, and then ask, how do I know it's true? And Mm -hmm. why can't I change it? But it's the recurring thought process, the old limiting thoughts that get in the way. I teach the readers of my book to see the thought, and when you see the limiting thought, you imagine yourself putting your finger your forefinger over your lips vertically and simply saying, shh, you quiet it down. You create mm-hmm. the space for a new thinking to emerge. It's kind of like what if, but what if in a positive way? What if right. I break free of this? What if that's possible? I had been in a business which uh, was successful financially as a young man, but it didn't serve my soul or my meaning and my purpose. And in midlife, I decided to embrace the uncertainty and engage the risk and close that business and grow the graduate school. I had to embrace that uncertainty and not succumb to the fear of making a mistake, which we're taught to do as a culture so that I could evolve and grow and be here today talking with you. That is what we're talking about. Right, that's the inspiration that we all can find our path when we open up to other possibilities. And actually, you know, I'm going to bring back your idea of detoxing, I imagine, has to do with detoxing from all of the crud and the negative messages and the, the what we should, the shoulds, and open up to whatever our path is and whatever is driving us. Having get, Getting room, listening to what that is, because I think for a lot of us, it's hard, it's hard to hear that. It's hard to get there. Yeah, well, again, I think it's hard, frankly, because who's been teaching us to do it? Right. You know, when when my sons were in when my sons were younger and in high school, they had seminar day at school, and I was invited in as a guest speaker, and I proposed that we should be teaching these skills and emotional intimacy and relationship uh, techniques in school. 
alongside of English and history and math. Then we wouldn't be sitting around decades later saying that sounds hard to do. We'd know how to do it. It's just a value that hasn't been part of our upbringing and our education. But frankly, it isn't hard to learn. I have so Mm -hmm. many people attending workshops and seminars and retreats I do because they want to learn how to do it. And once you devote yourself to learning, it, it then starts to become easy and second nature. Yes, and so you don't. You only have to tell me twice. It's only hard because we're not taught. So it's hard for two reasons: because we're not taught, and because we're having a thought that's telling us it's hard to do. Often in a therapy session, I may propose something to a client, and they'll say, "That's hard to do," and I'll pause and say, "How do you know? Have you ever tried it? <laughs> no." You see, that's where thought is tricking you. Your mm-hmm. thought is telling you it's hard to do. You don't know. Well, and, and another thing I'm thinking about is how since us human beings work so hard to create certainty uh, to manage our anxiety or a perception of certainty, um, and a lot of energy goes into convincing ourselves and convincing others that we have everything dialed in and we got everything, uh, you know, we're on top of it. Uh, this brings me to one of the points that you make that um, I find intriguing, and that is that you talk about embracing vulnerability is actually what is considered strong, and acting strong is perhaps more weak. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, See, the, the core messages that we receive around self-esteem, I think, are terribly misinformed. And this may be, I'm going to stereotype and say, this may be somewhat more true for men than women, many mm-hmm. exceptions. But we're told to act strong, don't show weakness. When you act strong, you're acting. You're hiding or disguising or concealing part of yourself so that others won't see it. And why do you do that? Because you're worried about what they may think of you. That's not strong. What is strong is to be authentic and true to yourself. And if you feel some insecurity or something that you want to share and you don't worry about what others will think, that's powerful. That's the core of self-esteem. If I alter or conceal part of my true self because I'm worried about what you think, I call that other esteem. That means Mm -hmm. I'm betraying my own authenticity to try to get your approval or avoid Mm -hmm. your disapproval. Now, again, we're not taught how to develop authentic self-esteem. Acting strong makes no sense. Don't act. Be yourself. And don't set someone else up as your judge. They Mm -hmm. don't work in the courthouse and wear long black robes. They are not your judge. They're just people with opinions. But when we take people and elevate them to our judge and worry about what they'll think of us and then alter myself, that makes no sense. And that's contrary to developing authentic self-esteem. I I teach workshops around authentic self-esteem, often to adolescents and teens, because, again, they haven't been taught this message. And we end up hiding from each other. Mm-hmm. in our worry about what they'll think of us. We don't connect. We don't open up genuinely. And this happens even in marriages and very close relationships. We don't develop honest, 
emotionally intimate relationships because we're worried about what they will think. Don't act. Be yourself. So how do we, you know, you make the point, uh, I think little by little, there's, we're starting to see social and emotional developmental curriculum um, in some schools. So, I mean, they're, they're, we're starting to see it a little bit. But your point is well taken that our kids don't get taught a lot of this stuff. And yet we as parents are in the best position to be primary teachers, not only in what we actively teach, but how our kids see us live every day. So as a parent, and we're, you know, there's a lot of, the parents are listening, what do you recommend to parents in order to teach these very important life skills to their kids? It doesn't matter what we say to our children. It matters who we are and what we do. <laughs> Um, I so often when I'm counseling parents about their relationships with their children, um, they start off by asking their kids questions and they may be uncomfortable questions and answers. And I'll ask the parent, how about sharing something about your own self? How about foaming the runway, so to speak? So instead of telling our kids how they should live our life, how should they should live their lives? How are you living yours? What are you modeling? For example, I, um, I do some therapy with a member of therapists and I supervise them. And on occasion, they'll talk to me about issues with their children and their children may be resistant or uncomfortable with going into therapy. And I'll ask their parent who is a therapist and is in therapy. Have you shared with your child that you're in therapy? No, I didn't do that. (laughs) What sense does that make? You can demystify this. You can explain that therapy is a good thing. It's like, again, it's like going to the gym and working out with a trainer. You don't have to Mm -hmm. have a dysfunction or a problem to benefit from therapy. So there the parent isn't sharing sufficiently. And that's the problem. Mm -hmm. They're lecturing. Yes, exactly. And I have to restate what you said because an incredibly important take-home message for our listeners and myself as a parent is it does not matter what you say to your children. It's what you do and how you act. That's huge. It's how you live your life. Yes. Absolutely. We, we need to model for our children who we want them to be. Mm-hmm. Be the person we want them to become. And if we're struggling with that, we should share it. Again, don't act strong. Be genuine. Mm-hmm. What I've also often found in my own life as a parent and then with my clients too, what's emerged over the years, is realizing exactly what you're saying um, is that telling our kids a lesson, it, they just turn off. When we share with them an aspect of our own life, our own struggles that relates to the message we want to, to give them or we want them to hear, their eyes are totally locked in when they're hearing it through your own authentic story. And to that end, don't just share the good stuff about your life. Mm-hmm. Share your challenges and your struggles Because that gives them a reference point, because if you don't share that, you disempower them because they're going to go through struggles. Give them a Mm -hmm. reference point that mom or dad went through something like this, 
and it all worked out okay. We deprive our kids by only sharing the good. We need to share our real life narrative with them. That gives them mm-hmm. so much more of a basis for moving forward. Mm-hmm. So if, I know this is hard, a hard, a hard, oh, I said hard again. Let me say, I, I, I'm going to learn here. Okay, this might be a challenging question. If there is one thing that you can recommend to parents listening to increase the chances of them raising children that seek their own potential, what is that one thing for these parents to focus on? Share with your children your contests, your challenges, your successes, and places where you haven't succeeded. Open yourself up in your own transparent vulnerability. I'm not proposing that you make them worry about you. We're not going Mm -hmm. to that extreme. But share with your children your actual engagement with your life throughout your life. Let your life be a narrative, a real story for them, which is rich in context. Don't just check to see that their grades are okay or that they're not consuming alcohol. Those are all necessary things. But you need to provide something richer. What's the Mm -hmm. story of my life been? What have my goals been, my achievements, my disappointments? Share it all. Make them a partner in your life. Be vulnerable and be authentic. Yes. I love it. Okay, Mel, it is time for the parent footprint moment question where you have been thinking about a time to share with us when you became aware of something about yourself as an individual or as a parent, and that increased awareness, that new awareness, had a positive impact on your children? Well, this will be applicable to parents who have school-age children, particularly younger children. I recall my son coming home with a report card. I believe he was perhaps in third or fourth grade. And it was a report card that I was disappointed with the results of. And I kindly gave him the rather typical parent conversation of, you know, you can do better. You're not putting enough work into this. And he looked at me. I'll never forget the moment in time. He looked at me and he said, dad, I'm just in third grade. My grades (laughs) don't count. I'm just a kid. Would you let me be a kid? And the wisdom of that was remarkable. I think that we are stealing childhood from our children in an abusive way by not allowing them to be kids, to have wonder and downtime and play. The way I experienced when I was a kid, which was a different experience altogether. And my son said to me, When it counts and my grades count, I promise I'll get focused. In the meantime, let me be a kid. And you know what? (laughs) It's 20 years later, and he was right. He's well-grounded and very successful in his career. My words here are don't forget that childhood is an essential developmental time for a child's growth, 
And it is not all about success and achievement. It's about mm -hmm. wonder and awe mm -hmm. and imagination. And if we steal that from our kids, we're doing a terrible disservice. And you listened to him, which is, right, the other key part of this story. Yes. You listened to him, right? That's right. I didn't override him. I yeah. heard wisdom from, mm -hmm. from my young son. Wisdom. Wisdom from your son and wisdom from you, Mel. This, uh, I wish we could keep talking. And what this means is that everyone needs to go out and buy your new book, The Possibility Principle, How Quantum Physics Can Improve the Way You Think, Live, and Love, and learn more about your experience, your approach, and your wisdom. Where can people continue to find your, your talks, your trainings, your, uh, your speaking events, and such? The, the central place is my website, melschwartz.com. That's M-E-L-S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z. And you'll find my talks, my books, my offerings, my practice. I, I work by Skype and FaceTime with people out of my area. Everything I can offer, you can find on that website. Mel, thanks so much for offering your wisdom, insight, and experience um, for our listeners. I know that I am going to, uh, like them, take your words to heed. Um, things aren't hard. We just have to learn them, try them, practice them, and open ourselves up to possibilities and embrace uncertainty. Thank you for listening to the show today, please look at us at www.parentfootprint.com. Be the person you want your children to become. And I will leave you with this final guiding question. What footprint do you want to leave? <laughs>